The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson. Being an account of their adventures in the strange places of the earth after the foundering of the good ship Glen Carrig through striking upon a hidden rock in the unknown seas to the southward, as told by John Winterstraw, gentleman, to his son James Winterstraw in the year 1757, and by him committed very properly and legibly to manuscript. Chapter 8 The Noises in the Valley Now, so soon as we had gotten the boat into safety, the which we did with the most feverish haste, the boatswain gave his attention to Job, for the boy had not yet recovered from the blow which the loom of the oar had dealt him beneath the chin when the monster snatched at it. For a while his attentions produced no effect, but presently, having bathed the lad's face with water from the sea and rubbed rum into his chest over the heart, the youth began to show signs of life and soon opened his eyes, whereupon the boatswain gave him a stiff jorum of the rum, after which he asked him how he seemed in himself. To this Job replied in a weak voice that he was dizzy and his head and neck ached badly. On hearing which, the boatswain bade him keep lying until he had come more to himself. And so we left him in quietness under a little shade of canvas and reeds, for the air was warm and the sand dry, and he was not like to come to any harm there. At a little distance, under the directing of the boatswain, we made to prepare dinner, for we were now very hungry it seeming a great while since we had broken our fast. To this end the boatswain sent two of the men across the island to gather some of the dry seaweed, for we intended to cook some of the salt meat, this being the first cooked meal since ending the meat which we had boiled before leaving the ship in the creek. In the meanwhile, and until the return of the men with the fuel, the boatswain kept us busied in various ways, Two he sent to cut a bundle of the reeds, and another couple to bring the meat and the iron boiler, the latter being one that we had taken from the old brig. Presently the men returned with the dried seaweed, and very curious stuff it seemed, some of it being in chunks near as thick as a man's body, but exceeding brittle by reason of its dryness. And so, in a little, we had a very good fire going, which we fed with the seaweed and pieces of the reeds, though we found the latter to be but indifferent fuel, having too much sap, and being troublesome to break into convenient size. Now, when the fire had grown red and hot, the boatswain half filled the boiler with seawater, in which he placed the meat, and the pan, having a stout lid, he did not scruple to place it in the very heart of the fire, so that soon we had the contents boiling merrily. Having gotten the dinner under way, the boatswain set about preparing our camp for the night, which we did by making a rough framework with the reeds, over which we spread the boat's sails and the cover, pegging the canvas down with tough splinters of the reed, 
When this was completed, we set to and carried there all our stores, after which the boatswain took us over to the other side of the island to gather fuel for the night, which we did, each man bearing a great double armful. Now by the time we had brought over, each of us, two loads of the fuel, we found the meat to be cooked, and so, without more to do, set ourselves down and made a very good meal off it and some biscuits, after which we had each of us a sound tot of the rum. Having made an end of eating and drinking, the boatswain went over to where Job lay to inquire how he felt, and found him lying very quiet, though his breathing had a heavy touch about it. However, we could conceive of nothing by which he might be bettered, and so left him, being more hopeful that nature would bring him to health than any skill of which we were possessed. By this time it was late afternoon, so that the boatswain declared we might please ourselves until sunset, deeming that we had earned a very good right to rest, but that from sunset till the dawn we should, he told us, have each of us to take turn and turn about to watch, for though we were no longer upon the water, none might say whether we were out of danger or not, as witness the happening of the morning, though certainly he apprehended no danger from the devilfish as long as we kept well away from the water's edge. And so from now until dark most of the men slept, but the boatswain spent much of that time in overhauling the boat to see how it might chance to have suffered during the storm, and also whether the struggles of the devilfish had strained it in any way. And indeed it was speedily evident that the boat would need some attention, for the plank in her bottom next but one to the keel, upon the starboard side, had been burst inwards. This having been done, it would seem, by some rock in the beach hidden just beneath the water's edge, the devilfish having, no doubt, ground the boat down upon it. Happily, the damage was not great, though it would most certainly have to be carefully repaired before the boat would be again seaworthy. For the rest, there seemed to be no other part needing attention. Now, I had not felt any call to sleep, and so had followed the boatswain to the boat, giving him a hand to remove the bottom boards, and finally to slew the bottom a little upwards, so that he might examine the leak more closely. When he had made an end with the boat, he went over to the stores and looked closely into their condition, and also to see how they were lasting. And, after that, he sounded all the water breakers, having done which, he remarked that it would be well for us if we could discover any fresh water upon the island. By this time it was getting on towards evening, and the boatswain went across to look at Job, finding him much as he had been when we visited him after dinner. At that, the boatswain asked me to bring across one of the longer of the bottom boards, which I did, and we made use of it as a stretcher to carry the lad into the tent. And afterwards, we carried all the loose woodwork of the boat into the tent, emptying the lockers of their contents, which included some oakum, a small boat's hatchet, a coil of one and a half inch hemp line, a good saw, an empty colza oil tin, a bag of copper nails, some bolts and washers, two fishing lines, three spare tholes, a three-pronged grain without the shaft, two balls of spun yarn, three hanks of roping twine, a piece of canvas with four roping needles stuck in it, 
the boat's lamp, a spare plug, and a roll of light duck for making boat's sails. And so, presently, the dark came down upon the island, at which the boatswain waked the men, and bade them throw more fuel onto the fire, which had burned down to a mound of glowing embers much shrouded in ash. After that, one of them part-filled the boiler with fresh water, and soon we were occupied most pleasantly upon a supper of cold, boiled salt meat, hard biscuits, and rum mixed with hot water. During supper, the boatswain made clear to the men regarding the watches, arranging how they should follow, so that I found I was set down to take my turn from midnight until one of the clock. Then he explained to them about the burst plank in the bottom of the boat, and how that it would have to be put right before we could hope to leave the island, and that after that night we should have to go most strictly with the victuals, for there seemed to be nothing upon the island that we had up till then discovered fit to satisfy our bellies. More than this, if we could find no fresh water, he should have to distill some to make up for that which we had drunk, and this must be done before leaving the island. Now, by the time that the boatswain had made an end of explaining these matters, we had ceased from eating, and soon after this we made each one of us a comfortable place in the sand within the tent, and lay down to sleep. For a while I found myself very wakeful, which may have been because of the warmth of the night, and indeed, at last I got up and went out of the tent, conceiving that I might the better find sleep in the open air. And so it proved, for having lain down at the side of the tent a little way from the fire, I fell soon into a deep slumber, which at first was dreamless. Presently, however, I came upon a very strange and unsettling dream, for I dreamed that I had been left alone on the island, and was sitting very desolate upon the edge of the brown-scummed pit. Then I was aware suddenly that it was very dark and very silent, and I began to shiver, for it seemed to me that something which repulsed my whole being had come quietly behind me. At that I tried mightily to turn and look into the shadows among the great fungi that stood all about me, but I had no power to turn, and the thing was coming nearer, though never a sound came to me, and I gave out a scream, or tried to, but my voice made no stir in the rounding quiet. And then something wet and cold touched my face, and slithered down and covered my mouth, and paused there for a vile, breathless moment. It passed onward and fell to my throat, and stayed there. Someone stumbled and fell over my feet, and at that I was suddenly awake. It was the man on watch making a walk round the back of the tent, and he had not known of my presence till he fell over my boots. He was somewhat shaken and startled, as might be supposed, but steadied himself on learning that it was no wild creature crouched there in the shadow, and all the time, as I answered his inquiries, I was full of a strange, horrid feeling that something had left me at the moment of my awakening. There was a slight, hateful odor in my nostrils that was not altogether unfamiliar. And then suddenly I was aware that my face was damp, and that there was a curious sense of tingling at my throat. I put up my hand and felt my face, and the hand, when I brought it away, was slippery with slime. And at that I put up my other hand and touched my throat, and there it was the same, only in addition there was a slight swelled place a little to one side of the windpipe, the sort of place that the bite of a mosquito will make but I had no thought to blame any mosquito. 
Now the stumbling of the man over me, my awakening, and the discovery that my face and throat were beslimed, were but the happenings of some few short instants, and then I was upon my feet and following him round to the fire, for I had a sense of chilliness and a great desire not to be alone. Now, having come to the fire, I took some of the water that had been left in the boiler, and washed my face and neck, after which I felt more my own man. Then I asked the man to look at my throat, so that he might give me some idea of what manner of place the swelling seemed, and he, lighting a piece of the dry seaweed to act as a torch, made examination of my neck, but could see little, save a number of small ring-like marks, red inwardly and white at the edges, and one of them was bleeding slightly. After that I asked him whether he had seen anything moving round the tent, but he had seen nothing during all the time he had been on watch though it was true that he had heard odd noises, but nothing very near at hand. Of the places on my throat he seemed to think but little, suggesting that I had been bitten by some sort of sand fly. But at that I shook my head and told him of my dream, and after that he was as anxious to keep near to me as I to him. And so the night passed onward until my turn came to watch. For a little while, the man whom I had relieved sat beside me, having, I conceived, the kindly intent of keeping me company. But as soon as I perceived this, I entreated him to go and get his sleep, assuring him that I had no longer any feelings of fear, such as had been mine upon awakening and discovering the state of my face and throat. And upon this, he consented to leave me, and so, in a little, I sat alone beside the fire. For a certain space, I kept very quiet, listening, but no sound came to me out of the surrounding darkness. And so, as though it were a fresh thing, it was borne in upon me how that we were in a very abominable place of lonesomeness and desolation. And I grew very solemn. Thus, as I sat, the fire, which had not been replenished for a while, dwindled steadily until it gave but a dullish glow around. And then, in the direction of the valley, I heard suddenly the sound of a dull thud, the noise coming to me through the stillness with a very startling clearness. At that, I perceived that I was not doing my duty to the rest, nor to myself, by sitting and allowing the fire to cease from flaming, and immediately reproaching myself, I seized and cast a mass of the dry weed upon the fire, so that a great blaze shot up into the night, and afterwards I glanced quickly to right and to left, holding my cut and thrust very readily, and most thankful to the Almighty that I had brought no harm to any by reason of my carelessness, which I inclined me to believe was that strange inertia which is bred by fear. And then, even as I looked about me, there came to me across the silence of the beach a fresh noise, a continual soft slithering to and fro in the bottom of the valley, as though a multitude of creatures moved stealthily. At this I threw yet more fuel upon the fire, and after that I fixed my gaze in the direction of the valley. Thus in the following instant it seemed to me that I saw a certain thing, as it might be a shadow, move on the outer borders of the firelight. Now the man who had kept watch before me had left his spear stuck upright in the sand convenient to my grasp, and seeing something moving, I seized the weapon and hurled it with all my strength in its direction, 
but there came no answering cry to tell that I had struck anything living, and immediately afterwards there fell once more a great silence upon the island, being broken only by a far splash out upon the weed. It may be conceived with truth that the above happenings had put a very considerable strain upon my nerves, so that I looked to and fro continually, with ever and anon a quick glance behind me, for it seemed to me that I might expect some demoniac creature to rush upon me at any moment. Yet for the space of many minutes there came to me neither any sight nor sound of living creature, so that I knew not what to think, being near to doubting if I had heard aught beyond the common. And then, even as I made halt upon the threshold of doubt, I was assured that I had not been mistaken, for abruptly I was aware that all the valley was full of a rustling, scampering sort of noise, through which there came to me occasional soft thuds, and anon the former slithering sounds. And at that, thinking a host of evil things to be upon us, I cried out to the bosun and the men to awake. Immediately upon my shout the boatswain rushed out from the tent, the men following, and every one with his weapon, save the man who had left his spear in the sand, and that lay now somewhere beyond the light of the fire. Then the boatswain shouted to know what thing had caused me to cry out, but I replied nothing, only held up my hand for quietness. Yet when this was granted, the noises in the valley had ceased, so that the boatswain turned to me, being in need of some explanation. But I begged him to hark a little longer, which he did, and, the sounds recommencing almost immediately, he heard sufficient to know that I had not waked them all without due cause. And then, as we stood each one of us staring into the darkness where lay the valley, I seemed to see again some shadowy thing upon the boundary of the firelight, and in the same instant one of the men cried out and cast his spear into the darkness. But the boatswain turned upon him with a very great anger, for in throwing his weapon the man had left himself without, and thus brought danger to the whole. Yet, as will be remembered, I had done likewise, but a little sense. Presently, there coming again a quietness in the valley, and none knowing what might be toward, the boatswain caught up a mass of the dry weed, and lighting it at the fire, ran with it towards the portion of the beach which lay between us and the valley. Here he cast it upon the sand, singing out to some of the men to bring more of the weed, so that we might have a fire there, and thus be able to see if anything made to come at us out of the deepness of the hollow. Presently we had a very good fire, and by the light of this the two spears were discovered, both of them stuck in the sand, and no more than a yard one from the other, which seemed to me a very strange thing. Now, for a while after the lighting of the second fire, there came no further sounds from the direction of the valley, nothing indeed to break the quietness of the island, save the occasional lonely splashes that sounded from time to time out in the vastness of the weed continent. Then, about an hour after I had waked the boatswain, one of the men who had been tending the fires came up to him to say that we had come to the end of our supply of weed fuel. At that, the boatswain looked very blank, the which did the rest of us, as well we might, yet there was no help for it until one of the men bethought him of the remainder of the bundle of reeds which we had cut, and which, burning but poorly, we had discarded for the weed. 
This was discovered at the back of the tent, and with it we fed the fire that burned between us and the valley. But the other we suffered to die out, for the reeds were not sufficient to support even the one until dawn. At last, and whilst it was still dark, we came to the end of our fuel, and as the fire died down, so did the noises in the valley recommence. And there we stood in the growing dark, each one keeping a very ready weapon, and a more ready glance, and at times the island would be mightily quiet, and then again the sounds of things crawling in the valley. Yet I think the silences tried us the more. And so, at last, came the dawn. You've been listening to The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson, read by Paul R. Potts. This audio recording is made available under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 2.5 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org. Links for the project can be found at thepotshouse.org. The music for Chapter 8 is by Mystified, the title track from the album These Fragments, available at darkwinter.com. Sound effects are taken from the album Thaw, field recordings from Minnesota, available at wanderingear.com.